electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thank you very much, and welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, as Carl said, live today from the Future Proof Wealth Conference here in Huntington Beach, California. Our Josh Brown has a big part in this event. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. He is with me today, of course, along with Liz Young and Shannon Sakosha. And we are less than one hour away now from Apple's big event, just a few hundred miles north of us. We're going to size up what's at stake for that company, definitely what's at stake for the stock, and then the markets as a whole. In fact, let's take a look at the markets right now. Dow, as Sarah was just talking about, is in the green, but the other uh, the major averages are still in the red. You see the S&P giving back a little, as is the Nasdaq today, ahead of that uh, Apple event. Oil. It's a big story today. As you know, highest level of the year, WTI's at 89. And we're going to get to Apple and everything else. But, Josh, I'll just begin with that yeah. because I know it's on your mind. You own the IEO, which is up 2% today. Yeah. And this seems to be the prevailing story, at least at the moment, today. I've been talking about this on the show since July. I genuinely believe that oil is where the puck is going next and the oil-related stocks. Let's just talk about the XLE first because these are the bigger names uh, that have more market cap and that move the averages. You take a look at the XLE, it's the only positive sector in the whole market over the last month. It's up about 2%. In addition to which, every single component of the XLE is above its 50-day moving average. You cannot find that in any other S&P sector. And here's the funniest part. It is far and away the cheapest sector in the stock market. It's eight times earnings. I'd like you to contrast that with the tech sector. 34 times earnings. So not only do you have price action indicating a big breakout for oil in general, in addition, you're not overpaying for these stocks the way you normally would in a momentum-like trade. I'm in the IEO. These are one notch down in terms of market cap size from the XLE. They're domestic companies. They're producers of oil and natural gas. I think these stocks are about to rip. Shan, what about you? You like energy? Well, I think, you know, if you look at, to Josh's point, from a valuation perspective, we're in a lot better situation buying energy here. There's also the opportunity potentially for, you know, meaningful earnings growth as we go in the back half of next year, particularly with the supply-demand mismatch. I'm more concerned, frankly. I don't know that we want to see energy leading the market here, though, because that certainly, Josh and I were talking about this earlier, that certainly makes it much more difficult for the Fed, and we're coming into headline inflation tomorrow that's going to reflect these higher energy prices. So although you are seeing perhaps a more um, fundamental rotation to a part of the market that's not quite as overvalued as what we're seeing in technology, that doesn't necessarily bode well for the next couple of months if we see energy on top, because it creates more hesitancy, perhaps, on, on the part of the Fed to be able to start to loosen policy. Okay, so let's pivot then um, to the other sector that matters a lot right now, and that's tech. And Liz, I come to you as we're waiting on this Apple event, as I said. We're less than an hour away at this point. New phones coming today, updates to AirPods and the watch. And it, it does come at an especially important time for, for the stock, the market, shareholders, et cetera. But what about for tech right now? What does this event today 
mean in the overall picture just because of the weighting that Apple has in this market and in most people's portfolio? Yeah, well, I mean, I think we're all aware that Apple is a huge player in everybody's portfolio, whether we want to admit it or not, or whether we did it directly or not. Apple is such a sentiment trade for tech and really for individual investors everywhere. I mean, all of us sitting on the set have at least one Apple device on our person, right? And probably a couple more in our bag. And that's how most of America operates. So if Apple starts to falter, and, and last week was its toughest week, second toughest week, I think, this year. Second worst week of the year, stocks coming off. Remember, the stock was right. on the doorstep of 190. You look today, it's less than 176. Right. Yeah, so it, it doesn't feel good for investors. And when you couple that with what happened with NVIDIA last week as well, it, again, the sentiment trade kind of lost its luster. So I think the event today is important. I don't know that the event is going to necessarily send the stock in a completely different direction. There's still a lot of headwind on valuations. And watching the 10-year just continue this steady climb upward continues to put pressure on tech. And I think that this market is acting rationally for where yields are and where we are in the hiking cycle. So you see the stock. I mean, it's bouncing around a bit. 177, a little bit north of that. But again, Josh, we, we weren't but oh, 10 days ago talking about 190. Is this stock going to get back to its 52-week high? And yeah. here we are wondering, you know, where shares are going in the near term. Where's the company's growth rate overall going in the near term? Where are iPhone revenues which, you know, have been a, a question over the last couple of quarters. Yeah, I, look, I think there's two types of Apple phone launches. So we've now been through 14 of these cycles. Some of them, it's a giant leap forward technologically, or there's some feature that people are really excited about. In this particular case, this is the other type of launch, almost like a caretaker, like, yes, we would do with a new model, but this one is not going to uh, really change the demand picture so much. This is not the type of phone that all of a sudden people are going to say, well, that has new features no one else has. I have to have it, which is fine because this is now basically a replacement cycle product. Well, not many of their phones that come out actually have those features that nobody else has. They just have had this knack Best of version. doing it better than That's anybody right. else has done before. And now you've gone through this period. You're post-COVID now. People might be you know, ripe for an upgrade. And that's what they're banking on in their most important quarters of the year, this and especially the December quarter. I think if, if, if it's, if it's going to be the type of launch where we capture some of it in this quarter and then most in the fourth quarter, which I think, by the way, is by design, uh, but if that's what ends up happening, it's going to be a minute before we really get a sense of whether or not this was a quote-unquote um, good model upgrade or so-so model upgrade. It's just too early to say unless they totally surprise us with something that the tech trades aren't writing about, which, of course, is always a possibility. I mean, Shan, the, the, the elephant in the room, I guess, is just where revenue growth for the company is going. Is it Has it troughed, you know, after green, 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 green from, you know, however long ago you want to look until three quarters ago, uh, everything looked great. And then you had fiscal uh, 2023 Q1. Revenue year over year growth five, down five and a half percent. Then it was down three. Then it was down one. So it's now trending in the right direction. So this is a critical moment, not only for the upgrade cycle and where this company seems to be going, but for its revenue growth getting back to growth. Well, we talked for years about you know who was the competitor to Apple, and you know it was going to be Android, and it really ha we really haven't seen that. Um, we do have a huge competitor in Huawei. It's just not here in the United States, right? So you have a, a somewhat of a protective market in terms of Apple competitiveness. 
Um, to, to Josh's point, though, it's really about the replacement cycle, because in order for Apple to continue to grow revenue over time, it's not going to be on handsets. It's going to be on services. And you need to have a better handset, a bigger handset, headset, handset with more space, um, better computing power to be able to support the services growth that really is going to drive that ongoing revenue growth. Hey, and we've We're, learned in the most recent quarter, by the way, when they came out with earnings, that the services business is humming. Right. Um, and, and that's where really so the, I want to say something the, about that. the future continues to be. It's okay if this now becomes an earnings growth story more so than a revenue growth story. This is not, this is not a situation where uh, Apple is required to do 15 20% revenue growth. The larger this company gets, the more unrealistic right. that is as an expectation. Right. Earnings growth is different. Think about all the levers they can pull internally, starting with services. Look at the gross margins on services. It's disgusting. No company should have those. There's no threat to that changing anytime soon. And in fact, they actually found a way last quarter to grow it. Now you think about all of the other ancillary businesses related to the ecosystem. They can grow earnings. They can continue to hit new levels of profitability, even if the top line is nothing special. I think they've earned that right in the eyes of their shareholders. And just given it's a three trillion dollar market cap. So, I, look, you got a buyback, right? Buyback is huge. It could actually get bigger in the future. There's also a dividend for some reason. Fine, we'll take it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, but if they can keep uh, margins where they are, you don't need blow the doors off revenue growth so, out of the story. Okay, so let me ask you this. But just playing off that, because you, you mentioned how, let's call it shareholder friendly, this, this company's been. The buyback stock, the, the dividend. Now it might be tested as to, I don't want to necessarily question whether they're still consumer friendly because consumers love their products. Now, if they raise the price. You have two of them. I know. If they raise the price. <laughs> I'm saying. I'm just saying. That's neither here nor there. Okay. If they raise the price, as is rumored, uh, is it going to matter at a time where we are wondering what is the real strength of the consumer? Matter to shareholders or matters to the bottom line? It matters to everybody. Yeah. Are they going to, is it going to be a hindrance this to anybody to, do, to, to, to upgrade? This is the genius to, of, of Apple. They'll raise prices. That'll be reflected in your monthly bill from Verizon or AT&T. It'll be like six more dollars a month, like literally the price of a cup of coffee. Nobody will notice. Nobody will care. This has been the story with Apple. One of the two, the, the two smartest things they did. Number one, they stopped telling you and, and your friends in the press what the, uh, iPhone number of sales is, the unit sales. Now they talk about revenue. That was brilliant because they took the focus off unit sales growth. But the second thing was bundling in the cost into the, the monthly bill. And that's why they will get away with price upgrades. I think for as far as the eye can see, so long as they remain somewhat gradual and invisible to the consumer. So, you know, Shan, when you, when you look at where tech is right now, we always have this conversation, well, how important is Apple right now to the overall market? That almost took a backseat, I felt, for a few weeks at least. And we said, well, maybe NVIDIA mm. is the most important tech stock right now, just given where all the hype is around AI. You talk about AI, you don't talk about Apple. No. You talk about NVIDIA. And you right. talk about some of these other companies. Now, NVIDIA has been volatile of late. Which do you think right now is more important to the trajectory of the stock market, Apple or NVIDIA, which is big enough in its own right. It's a trillion dollars. If you look at the top 10 contributors to the S&P 500 returns in the last 12 months, though, the majority of those have an AI component to them. So I do think that at trend, from a trend perspective, we need to continue to see AI acceleration. We need to see beyond sort of those first tier sort of frontline like NVIDIA 
participating in the AI trade to continue tech momentum. I don't think Apple is enough. Apple is really going to trade now, I think, Scott, on what's happening in the consumer. We saw the really disappointing results from like the likes of Dollar General last week. If there starts to be consumer concern, that's what Apple's going to trade on. That AI trade could be completely separate and bifurcated for what we experience in Apple. And so I think from a tech perspective, from the, from the stocks that we've seen that have seen multiple expansion this year, AI is a more important theme as we go into the end of the year. It does, Liz, come at an interesting time for the consumer. Jamie Dimon yesterday speaking at a conference, quote, to say the consumer is strong today, meaning you're going to have a booming environment for years, is a huge mistake. You know, as others, there are other notes out today that suggest the consumer is doing just fine. It's, you know, anecdotal evidence versus the data and deciding which one you want to put more faith in. Well, some of the data has weakened. If you look at just real income over the past few months, it's come down considerably. And year over year, it's come down because inflation has taken a bite out. And that's something that I don't think we talk about enough. Yes, the growth rate of inflation has come down, but it's still growing. Prices have not completely deflated. So we're continuing to see a bite coming out of consumer income. And obviously, that's going to impact spending over time. And I'm, I'm guessing that that's what Jamie was sort of referring to, not to mention the buildup of credit card debt, the personal loans, everything that consumers have done to continue spending. There are certain subsets of the economy that are just going to be under stress. And I think we just haven't seen that yet in the data. It does take a few months. I mean, Bank of America today says, quote, keep calm and carry on. A type labor market, solid balance sheets, lower income resilience, and good deflation leaves us constructive on the consumer. It's very hard to have a recession when there's 3.5% headline unemployment. Anyone who wants a job can get a job. There are still millions of job openings. Yes, it's uncomfortable that prices are higher. I think we know that. I think we'll see that reflected in the presidential campaigns going into 2024. Story is not going away. Rents will remain high. The Fed knows it. That's why they keep talking tough. Um, and now gasoline price is edging up. That ain't going to be good. I think they're edging up toward a one-year high right now um, nationwide. So this is going to be an ongoing battle. But in the end, just look at what the companies are saying. It's, it's really haves and have-nots for consumer, for retail. For every five below, I submit to you a Walmart. Uh, for every Target, which was a disaster, I could show you Costco. And that's why it's so difficult. It's so complicated right now to have a one-size-fits-all narrative that tells the story of what's going it's a on. fair point. It's for, so every, for every Macy's, there's an Abercrombie. Look at you. Right? It just, very it, just, it, just, <laughs> it, just, it just depends on, on where you, you want to look. On, on that note, since we're talking about consumer, and I do want to get to our chart of the day, and we're going to do it in a moment because it's a, it's a disaster stock of the day. CPI tomorrow. Mm. Liz, you nervous about this number as we think about what the Fed's going to do? Maybe, maybe more importantly, what they're going to say next week, because I don't think many expect them to do anything next week. Right. But the CPI and then the PPI the day after, these all have to continue to trend in the right direction. Well, I think the biggest thing to remember is that the market trades on expectations more than it does trade on actual events. And looking at what the expectations are for tomorrow's number, it is expected to go up. Last, last month's print was 3.2% year over year. Tomorrow is expected to be 3.6%. That's moving in the wrong direction. And if we were operating under this assumption that inflation was, was going to continue to come down at the same clip, at the same slope, that's no longer the case. And we've ob obviously seen the peak behind us in year-over-year -year comps. So this is a more challenging period. I think the bigger risk, honestly, is that the market 
isn't expecting the Fed to do anything. As of yesterday, there was a 6% chance that they were going to hike in September. So then I wonder, what if they do, right? What if they surprise us and come out with another hike? That's probably the bigger I don't, risk. I don't think they want to shock, Shan, the, the market like that. I mean, I think when you have, as, as Liz suggested, such a low probability at this point of them doing anything, and I think the prevailing thought within the committee, within the room, is the word patience is going to prevail given what they've done in the reasonably short period of time that they've done it. Well, the narrative that they've been trying to craft over the last year, Scott, is that headline doesn't matter and it's all about core. So the reacceleration in headline tomorrow in particular due to food and energy costs, which we've all of us have been talking about reaccelerating over the last month, um, it would it would be a little bit of a reversal or a flip flop, if you will, for them to get really dis- really prescriptive on now headline instead of core, because that's where they've been pointing everybody to for the last year. I also agree with you. I don't think they're going to hike in September. I don't think they're going to hike because I feel like that they telegraphed the fact that they still have this one in their pocket for November. But they didn't mention anything about the reacceleration in the Powell address at Jackson Hole. I do think you're going to hear more about the reacceleration, but I don't think that's going to disrupt this narrative that they've created to really worry about the stickier aspects of core, particularly shelter. So the, the, I mentioned our stock of the day. Let's, let's just do it now because it's, it's a big mover today. It is in, in tech. It is Oracle, on pace now for the worst day since March of 2002. Revenue missed. Guidance was um, a little bit weak as well. And, you know, we've talked about this stock a number of times on this show, and it's had a good run. And maybe that's part of the issue uh, going into what you're witnessing today in the stock market with the stock pulling back by some 12, 13 or, or so percent. You, you used to own this and you used to talk about it a lot. And yeah. you sold it. And we're going to bring in somebody like a in a fiddle. moment who still does. But <laughs> what, what about what about Oracle? I actually think structurally, uh, te- uh, technically, it's had such a big run that even with a 12 percent fall, it still looks like it's somewhat in an uptrend. I think the stock's going to be OK. They actually beat on earnings. The problem was the guidance. I want to read this quote from Larry Ellison. Quote, as of today, AI development companies have signed contracts to purchase more than four billion of capacity in Oracle's Gen 2 cloud that's twice as much as we had booked at the end of, of Q4. The, the story still works. Here's the problem. Oracle is trading at 22 times enterprise value to EBITDA. That is above its one-year, three-year, five-year historical average. It's expensive relative to its own typical valuation, so it was a really hard, high bar to clear. Even though it was a good overall earnings report, guidance wasn't terrible. That's why you get this much market cap lopped off the top of the stock. Sometimes these things just run too far too fast. I think, remember, this is a $70 stock not very long ago. So I get the sell-off. I don't think it's wrong, uh, but I think the stock will be okay. Yeah. Well, let's bring in somebody who does own it, somebody you are familiar with as well. Blue Line Capital's Bill Baruch. Uh, he, He joins us now. So you took the position, Bill, it's good to see you, by the way, on August the 18th. So what do you do today? How are you feeling about you know, the stock and the move it's making relative to what they reported. Thanks for having me on, Judge. Yeah, you're right. This is a, a tough little situation here. We added August 18th, about 114.40 was where we were in there. Uh, I, I wish I was coming on talking about adding more at a higher level, but that's not the case. Right now, it's managing risk. If you look back at that June 9th close prior to that good earnings report they had then, that was 109.80. 
So I'm looking at that as a big support. It was pinged here early this morning, and it's responded a bit. And I'm also looking at that November high, about 106.5. That's the pocket I do not want to see this stock get below. I will not own it if it starts breaking below there. Step aside. Now, I think Josh made some really good points, and, and I do like the name. I do think it's in an uptrend, but I, I need to manage risk if it starts getting below there. Their revenue came in up 9% year over year. If you go back the set last several quarters, they've increased revenue year over year from 16 to 19%. The trend is there. So this is an anomaly is the question. I think a lot got pulled forward with, with not only some of the numbers, but the expectations. I think, uh, again, what Josh said about Larry Ellison, comments um, they've doubled the amount of contracts signed over the last quarter so i think there's there's a trend here and i think it's really interesting that they're using generative ai within their own environment moving over cerna uh, into the software so they're implementing that instead of using java code so i, I think it's really interesting i think the company is going to continue to, to find ways to improve and we'll find this name higher it's just in the near term about managing risk well so at, at 106 you'd, you'd consider it sounds like being a seller at what point do you consider buying more? What, what, would the, what would the stock have to do from the 111 where it is today? Just stay above 106, find that support again at 109, and then you'd yes. consider buying more if you just articulated the fact that you think the longer term story is good from here. Yes, absolutely. What you don't want to be, even if you own something, the same way if you're looking at buying a, a stock that's fallen, a, a falling knife, so to speak, as a new position, you don't want to be buying a, a falling knife. You want to see this thing sort of, you know, pick up a, a, a uh, you know, a, an opportunity here where there's support, where there's buying interest, and people are willing to step in. So the same way, if you actually own a name and it's going to fall, you want to make sure you get out of the way and, and you can let things settle in. I don't need to pick a bottom here. So in the next couple of days, if it continues to sell off, I'd rather step aside, look forward to regain 110 and, and to show some stability here. And we don't, we don't know what the broader market environment may bring in the next couple of days, too, with, with the CPI and what be coming from the Fed. So I want to make sure the volatility within Oracle is, is something that I can manage. Now, it's not a top five name of ours. It's right in the middle of the pack. But again, I was hoping that this trend that we've seen with the Oracle over the past couple of quarters was going to continue. And I would be adding at, at even at a higher level because the momentum was there. All right, good stuff. I appreciate hearing from you, Bill. Thank you. That's Bill Baruch, a blue line, uh, joining us today on that Oracle fallout. Shares down, uh, well, about 13% or so. We'll watch that for the remainder of the session. Up next, we're going to do our, our call of the day. What J.P. Morgan chief Jamie Dimon said about owning the banks right now. It got our attention. It will probably get yours as well. We'll do that when we come back. Halftime live today at Future Proof in Huntington Beach, California. Beautiful shot. We're back a couple minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. 
Edward Jones, member SIPC. Honestly, like, say, if you look at, they want banks to ever be investable again. You know, I, I, you know, look at my money, uh, I'm not going to sell my stuff like that. I think we're going to navigate it. I wouldn't be a big buyer of banks. Look, I'd be no better than Equal Way, whatever you call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that was Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan CEO, blasting new proposed capital requirements for the banks, saying they could cause a lending slowdown and hurt economic growth. Uh, Josh, I mean, he was a bit tongue-in-cheek, uh, obviously, uh, sounding like the analyst Dimon rather than the CEO Dimon. But his point is well taken, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you're a shareholder of, of J.P. Morgan specifically. What do you make of his comments? Look, is it is an apocryphal story, it's probably true, where in 2006, 2007, Jamie walked around to all the trading floors and he asked people what the prices with some of these securities were, mortgage back, et cetera. And the trader would quote him the price and he would say, oh, yeah, sell some. And one by one, traders would try to do a trade and they would see those prices were not real. We have taken this uh, regional bank crisis off the front page. It's not in the headlines anymore. Really, we had like almost a deus ex machina where now all of a sudden there's no upward limit on deposit insurance. Pretty much if you have money at a bank, don't worry about how much it is. You'll be fine. The system can't afford there to be a failure. Okay, so we're no longer talking about failure. What are we talking about? What are the new risks? There's a story, I think, in the journal today about brokered deposits. All of those old ticker symbols that we were talking about in March and April, same, same companies in the story now. What are they doing? They're going out and buying huge amounts of, of CD deposits. This is almost like an artificial funding. There's nothing wrong with this type of activity until it's at the level that it is now. It's up 86% year over year. It's like $1.2 trillion. This is regional banks buying deposits. That's hot money. That money will run the minute anyone gets nervous about any of these companies. So I'd like to think we're all the way out of the woods. I just don't think we are. And I think Diamond's cautious comments reflect that reality. And I think no one is a better risk manager in that business than he is. So I would listen. Yeah, I mean, with all due respect to the Mike Mayos of the world and all of those other highly rated and ranked, you know, financial stock analysts, Diamond right now is our top bank analyst. Uh, we'll, we'll give him that unofficial title for, for this show. He might be a little biased. But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, but when, <laughs> when, when someone like Jamie Dimon, whether it's tongue-in-cheek or not, Shan, is saying, I wouldn't be a big buyer of banks, it's not exactly an endorsement of going in and buying any of these stocks, is it? No, and it's a really challenging environment where we have a challenging macro environment, but more specifically, and particularly to Josh's point about deposits, you know, it's anemic deposit growth, which leads to anemic loan growth. And if you think about the role of the regional bank in the financial system, it's that local lender. It's that, 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 that firm, that bank that you go to when you need something done quickly, particularly for small businesses. Um, and then you look at the potential for credit losses. We talked about this. CRE, we were all talking about this 12 months ago. It's come off the radar. The situation hasn't proved all that meaningfully. So, you know, I, I don't want to create an unnecessary kind of fear, but I think when you're, you're asking me what the opportunity is, because these stocks trade at multiples that might seem attractive well, relative the KBE to the rest of the market. and the KRE are coming off their fifth negative week in six. Right. So this Just to give you an idea of how much of a struggle it's been. So this rotation that you're looking for, yes, but the, the, the overall headwinds to the space, it's somewhat concerning. Thanks. 
Look, the, the regional bank crisis was saved. It wasn't solved, right? So to Josh's point, point. earlier, there's, yeah. there's still mark-to-market losses. There's still, I mean, deposits are a liability, right, for banks. So you have to remember that. And as we get further into this cycle, look at things like credit spreads. We've got investment-grade spreads in the mid-160s. We've got high-yield spreads in the 420s. Those are so tight, given where we are in a cycle and where we are in a hiking cycle. Those feel to me like we just keep pulling a rubber band tighter and tighter and tighter. At some point, they probably widen. And banks, certainly the banks that are most exposed to credit, if we go through a credit deterioration, which is pretty natural in late cycle behavior, if we go through a deterioration, banks are probably going to take it on the chin. And the benefit that big banks have had since the regional bank crisis has been great, but I think that's played out. I mean, Diamond also, Josh, is in a good position himself in terms of you know, he, he's presiding over a stock, if you will, yeah. um, representative of the company's performance in some respects, obviously. Uh, that's up 8% year to date. KBE is down 15.5. The KRE is down 26.5. Bank of America is down 14. Citi's down 10. Morgan Stanley's down, as is Goldman Sachs. And Wells Fargo is up barely 1%. So he's got the best performance of the big banks this year. Stop me if you've heard me say this before, like a thousand times. <laughs> this is the year that quality is going to be the leading factor in financials. I will let you know when I think that changes. Maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe I'll be right. There's absolutely nothing going on in the current environment that leads me to believe that there's alpha in uh, looking for lower quality situations in the financial uh, sector. I mean, I could be. What's the best performing financial, big financial right now? Uh, happy 52-week high again today, Berkshire Hathaway. It's quality this year. That's what we're doing. It'll change. It's not changing today. All right, let's get the headlines now with Bertha <laughs> Coombs. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Scott. Poverty rates in the U.S. surged last year with child poverty more than doubling. The sharp increase hit as federal pandemic and aid programs ended and cost of living costs continued to rise. The poverty rate reached 12.4 percent. That's up from 7.8 percent in 2021. Census Bureau said this is the largest one-year jump on record. Rescuers pulled an American researcher out of a cave in Turkey after he became seriously ill. Teams from across Europe launched a multi-day mission to retrieve Mark Dickey from more than 3,000 feet below the ground. And to be above ground again, I was underground for far longer than ever expected. Good that he's safe. Meantime, a Van Gogh painting stolen during the pandemic was turned over to Dutch police three and a half years later in a blue Ikea bag. A career criminal was jailed in 2021 for stealing the 1884 work titled Spring Garden from a Dutch museum where it was on loan. But the painting had not been recovered until now. Police say the man who returned it last week was not involved in the theft. The painting is worth several million dollars, upwards of six million dollars by some estimates. Apparently, a Dutch art detective was involved in trying to get it retrieved. Quite a mystery, Scott. All right, Bertha, thank you. That's Bertha Coombs. Up next, today's halftime headliner, Katie Stockton, is here of Fairlead Strategies. She's going to join us live at Future Proof here in Huntington Beach. She'll tell us the key levels she is watching in the market, what you need to watch with Apple, NVIDIA, and the mega caps. We'll be back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. 
If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. Welcome back to Future Proof here in Huntington Beach, California. Let's bring in our halftime headliner now. Katie Stockton is the founder and managing partner of Fair Lead Strategies. Joining us live, it's nice to see you here. You too. Beautiful good place to be, to be, obviously. So you have a good eye uh, on the market from a technical standpoint. Where are we right now? Right now? Where, where do you think we're going from here? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's still a cyclical bull trend. We obviously have a corrective phase underway that's impacted our intermediate-term momentum gauges, but not the long-term ones. So we still have long-term upside momentum behind the major indices, and that's promising. So we are now looking for an entry point, and that entry point would have more shelf life, in our opinion, if we could see the S&P 500 clear resistance which is very well defined. It's right around 4,600. It's a level where it's topped out a few times. And I think above that, if we see a couple of good solid weekly closes above, that the new all-time highs would be basically a foregone conclusion. Hmm. So that's what we'd be really excited to see because with that, I think the breadth would expand. We know that breadth improved for a while, but then it pulled right back. You've seen the small cap underperformance oh, of sure. late, so it really hasn't been sticky enough. But I think with the breakout, we'll get that confidence restored. What leads you to believe that we are still in that trend, that the trend itself is intact? Yeah, so we have monthly trend-following gauges. Uh, we're technicians, so we use things like the MACD indicator, moving averages of price. Uh, we have a cloud model that we like. So all of those are still pointing higher, but it's not on a broad basis yet. We have it for the leading sectors of the market. But you know, consumer staples, as one good example, they just don't have that long-term upside momentum. So we'd really like to see it spread out. So the wild card of sorts in all of this is where we started the program, not necessarily with oil, but Apple, you know, as we're less than 30 minutes away from, from this big event. Um, that stock is a question mark in many people's minds right now, just because, as I said, doorstep of 190, now it's 177. There's some question marks about it. Where do you see it going? What do the charts tell you? And it needs to hold some level soon to some degree for you to be right about the overall trend as well, I think. Yeah, it's fair to say we, we've seen downside leadership during the corrective phase from Apple. That's not really terribly surprising. It also has a very heavy position in a lot of ETFs. So I think moves tend to get exacerbated by that. And it does have downside momentum on an intermediate term basis, but not from a long-term perspective. So yet again, we still have that long-term upside momentum preserved, even with the corrective phase. There's good support around 170 for Apple. I don't think these announcements tend to be good positive catalysts necessarily for the stock. And this time around, I would guess probably the same because the momentum isn't great. But once we have an oversold reading and a retest, that's when we tend to get a good entry point. You know, I just wondered, Josh, oftentimes, I, I believe, you see this stock sort of ramp up 
into yeah. events. And then you ask yourself, is it a sell on the news event? This is different this time because the stock has been going down into the event. So is it a buy the news opportunity this time around? Or how should we view that scenario? It's funny because when they when they did the when they did the goggles, you had a situation where we ran into it. And I think we ran up afterward. People were just so blown away. I think it was the first major technology conversate new conversation in the media uh, post the 2022 bloodbath where people were like inspired again. I don't know what that's going to mean today. I don't know if we're going to repeat that. The market is telling you no, but the market could be shopped and, and knocked for a loop. So it's really, really difficult to gain shifts in sentiment ahead of the fact. It's just like, what would you even base it on? So I, I'm, with, I'm with Katie. The short term is choppy. The longer term trend is still intact. And I think that that's what most investors should be focused on not how does the week go. You also, Katie, are, are the portfolio manager of the tactical sector ETF. It's the TAC, T-A-C-K. Um, you want to talk about diverse holdings. Uh, you have diverse holdings, short-term treasuries, gold, long-term treasuries, tech, communication services, discretionary, all in that, in that one basket. I'd almost call it a sort of a market neutral barbell type of approach right now. The long term indicators that we mentioned before, they've turned for about half of the market. So we have in our ETF tack, we have a half position in equities and it's all the leading sectors of the market. And then the other half is in alternative asset classes. So we have short term treasuries, the one to three year treasury fund. We have long-term treasuries and we have a position in gold, which is actually pretty unique in an ETF wrapper. And that's helped us minimize drawdowns. Mm -hmm. And as we hopefully will see the S&P 500 breakout, we'll see the portfolio dynamically morph into more of a sector-heavy position. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty good way to sort of be hedged uh, on a number of different levels. So, so, Shan, it makes me think, as Katie was talking about the Bank of America fund managers survey today, where you have overweight U.S. equities for the first time in, in 18 months and then down ticks in emerging markets. Well, I think there's there's multiple factors here. You know, I think if you look at what we've expected to happen with the dollar, we really haven't seen that uh, transpire. There also has been this uh, consensus that as U.S. markets were becoming, you know, potentially in pockets overvalued, that there was still significant value in emerging markets and international developed. And I think what you've seen is that you're seeing a stagflationary scenario set up in Europe that has and, and obviously the recovery in China has not been as robust anywhere near as robust as, as, as investors were anticipating. So I think that, that the opportunity to potentially close that valuation gap feels further, further away for mm -hmm. investors mm -hmm. right now. And they're just coming home to what they feel is sort of the best house on maybe a, a, a less than attractive block right, right now. Liz, you want to give me 20 seconds on that idea too, what the fund manager survey uh, suggests? Well, I mean, if you look even at the AAII survey, right, it turned a little bit more bearish for a second, but now it's back to pretty heavily bullish. And I think investors are still just comfortable being in U.S. equities. There's not a great alternative somewhere else. I'm not going to use the word Tina in a sentence like that, but there hasn't been a good alternative somewhere else. So they've stayed and just rotated within equities rather than coming out. All right. Good stuff. Katie, thank you so much. Thank you. Katie Stockton joining us. Stay with us. We're live. we got more coming up. From Future Proof, straight ahead. And don't forget, we're just two weeks away from CNBC's Delivering Alpha Investor Summit. I'm going to be there with a few big interviews, including Bill Ackman, Brad Gerstner. Don't want to miss it. And the good thing is you still have time to register. Scan the QR code on your screen or visit CNBCEvents.com slash Delivering Alpha. Halftime report back from Huntington Beach after this.
Welcome back to Halftime, live today from the Future Proof Conference here in Huntington Beach, California. We're showing you that promo because in just a little while, I'm gonna sit down on the stage uh, down just off the beach with Jeffrey Gunlock. And uh, we're gonna go through a whole bunch of stuff. And I'm gonna bring you the headlines and the highlights at three o'clock Eastern time on Closing Bell. So we'll see what he has to say. It does bring me back to here at uh, Future Proof. I mentioned at the very top of the program that Josh Brown has a lot to do with this uh, event. It's good to see you again. Thank you for being Thank our host you. of sorts. Thank you guys for uh, coming. What's going on here? Give, give people an idea of what's happening here. So what this is, it's the second uh, event, the second annual event. But what this is, is a combination of all of the best in wealth tech, fintech, asset management, wealth management, financial advice. Uh, everyone here is a professional working in some facet of those industries, and it's all related. And what we've tried to do is take the traditional concept of a conference, turn it inside out, get everybody outdoors, away from the ballrooms, and we tried to inject uh, a healthy dose of culture and art. We've got incredible musical acts playing. We've got people doing live graffiti murals. We've got sneaker collections on display. It's just this amazing thing. And I never thought we would see the traditional financial industry catch on so quickly to what this was. But when you walk, walk the floor, it's Morningstar, it's Fidelity, it's, it's like everyone under the sun is repping, repping in some way here. And it's just a really nice event where we all come together once a year, hang out, learn, learn some stuff from each other. You've got, you know, the thousands of registered investment advisors here. They want to get in front of the companies that you just mentioned. The companies want to get in front of them right. as well. It's, a, you know, trying to consummate a few marriages over here of, of business. Yeah, well, look, we, we sat during the pandemic and we've, I've been doing events for a long time. We said, how do you get people to get on a plane and go somewhere again? when this thing ends? And the answer was lean into the experience itself and the networking. Those are, if, you if you walk around and talk to people that are here, what are you here for? Yes, of course the content on stage has to be good. Table stakes, what are you really here for? I wanna talk to other financial advisors from all over the country, find out what's working for them. I wanna see the latest technology. That's really what we leaned into. And so far, so good, we're having a lot of fun. Shan, you spoke yesterday. Uh, give us an idea about what you were on stage about. So we spoke about alternatives and really, um, you know, if you think about how alternatives have changed over the last 30 years, Scott, you know, when I started in the industry, they were for family offices, endowments, foundations, pension plans. And what we've seen is we've seen a democratization of the alternative space, but we've also seen firms specifically try to target registered investment advisors because they understand that for many clients, adding alternatives to their portfolio can meaningfully diversify that risk return. And I think that we're at the precipice and at an inflection point in this space where people see these people out here as the, the, the next big consumer. Um, and so you're gonna see a lot of major alternatives firms try to target product for them, mm -hmm. not just to sell more, but really to create solutions that make sense. Liz, you're gonna be talking tomorrow morning, correct? I am, about? that's right, yep. So this is called Future Proof. I'm talking tomorrow on a panel about the future of the individual investor and Good how topic. it's changed, <laughs> isn't it? I thought so. <laughs> and how it's changed and just the makeup of the investors that are in the market today. We'll talk about things like meme stocks, what investors use to get their information. There's a lot of social media out there. Things have completely changed over the last decade. Obviously, SoFi is one of the companies that wants to get in front of that individual investor sure. and the next gen. All right, well, good luck with that. Thank you. Josh, congrats. Thank you guys good, for good coming. To be back. This has been yep. amazing. It is good to be back. Up next, Mike Santoli. He'll join us from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. 
back in a couple minutes. We're back. Let's get to senior markets commentator Mike Santoli. He's live from the New York Stock Exchange for his midday word. So we're about 10 minutes or so away from Apple. And as we were talking earlier, Mike, it's not often that you see a sell into the news with uh, Apple, is it? Uh, typically not, actually. Normally, you do get a little bit of a buildup of anticipation. Now, you don't have every year when, you know, Apple has been up 40 percent year to date, you know, it, through July. And therefore, you have that one month to figure out before the event where it should go from there. You also have never before had Apple at one of these events be 7.2 percent of the S&P 500. So I think there are uh, maybe some uh, sort of specific factors this year, you know my take that it tends not to really be a true bellwether for the overall market uh, in terms of you know what it says about the business, meaning it has impact on other companies. And it's much more about when people feel good about Apple, usually they're feeling good about the rest of the market and vice versa. So two years above 5%. Let's talk about things that I know you probably yeah. you know, care about more for the overall picture. Oil, the high of the year, and the two-year above 5%. It's keeping us from getting comfortable in the equity market. I mean, I think it's fair to say the equity market has had a fairly benign pullback and then this sort of very indecisive phase since then. Was that all we had to deal with in August? Do we have to just be on alert for something more? So tightening conditions, but in a very slow incremental way. This is what I'll say about even the the yield move. It's not as if the bond market is flying all over the place the way it did last year and yields were were whipping uh, wildly. It's much more about kind of this turn of the screw. Is it going to hold the range? Is it not going to hold the range? And, you know, volumes have been very light. It's not an excuse one way or another, but it just shows you how people have been quite noncommittal in this phase, even since Labor Day, and therefore probably everything uh, sort of coiled ahead of the CPI. All right, good stuff. I'll see you in just a little bit on Closing Bell. Uh, That's Mike Santoli. We are just minutes away now from Apple's big event kicking off just north of us, well, a few hundred miles north of us here, up the PCH. We're going to take you live to Apple HQ with the setup next. Told you I'll be here closing bell as well. Three o'clock Eastern. Dan Ives is here. He'll be with me to recap what happened up in Cupertino, California. And then, of course, I'll bring you the headlines for my conversation with Jeffrey Gunlock, which is going to go off in just a little bit. In the meantime, let's do final trades. Shannon, Satosha, you are first. Healthcare sector, uh, strong demographic tailwind, defensiveness and innovation all in one place. All right. Liz Young. Energy. You've got supply constraints supporting oil and gas prices, shareholder friendliness supporting stocks. Josh Brown. Don't tell anyone, but very quietly, Uber is taking out a new 52-week high, even with tech in the doldrums. I like it. All right. So we're going to get to Apple, which is less than 10 seconds away. I'll see you on Closing Bell. The recap there, Gunlock 2. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its 
its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.